Long ago, when the judges ruled Israel, there was a shortage of food in the land. So a man named Elimelech left the town of Bethlehem in Judah to live in the country of Moab with his wife and his two sons. His wife was named Naomi, and his two sons were named Malon and Kilian. They were Thrathrahites from Bethlehem in Judah. When they came to Moab, they settled there. Then Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. These sons married women from Moab. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. Naomi and her sons had lived in Moab about ten years when Malon and Kilian also died. So Naomi was left alone without her husband or her two sons. While Naomi was in Moab, she heard that the Lord had come to help his people and had given them food again. So she and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return home. Naomi and her daughters-in-law left the place where they had lived and started back to the land of Judah. Girls, go back home. Each of you go to your own mother's house. You have been very kind to me and to my sons who are now dead. I hope the Lord will also be kind to you in the same way. I hope the Lord will give you another home and a new husband. No, we want to go with you to your people. Go home, my daughters. Why would you want to come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Go home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Suppose I thought there was still some hope for me. Suppose I married a man tonight, and later I had sons by him. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you stay single until you could marry them? No, my daughters, my life is more bitter than yours. The Lord's power has turned against me. When they heard that, they broke down and wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth held on to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Don't beg me to leave you or to stop following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. I ask the Lord to punish me terribly if I do not keep this promise. Not even death will separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had firmly made up her mind to go with her, she stopped arguing with her. So Naomi and Ruth went on until they came to the town of Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, all the people became very excited. The woman of the town said, Is this really Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very sad. When I left, I had all I wanted. But now the Lord has brought me home with nothing. Why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has spoken against me and the Almighty has given me so much trouble? So Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabite, returned from Moab and arrived at Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Someone once said that bitterness is like acid within a person that they want to they want to spew out to others, um, but it, it eats them alive before they ever get a chance. To change the metaphor, it's, uh, 
It's like a venomous poison that destroys physically as well as spiritually. It's a, it's a deadly malignancy that grows and grows and consumes. It almost consumed Naomi. As we see in uh, Ruth chapter 1, the passage that was just uh, shared with us. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ruth again in the Old Testament, eighth book in the Bible. We are beginning this short little study of, um, of the book of Ruth. It really is a wonderful book, a book of encouragement, a book of hope. It's like a, a breath of fresh air. And of course, after last week, you wonder when, when's the fresh air going to begin to blow. might think that after this, uh, this week as well. Um, the first five verses are kind of a downer. You finish the first five verses and you've got three widows and three graves. As we saw last week, Naomi and her husband Elimelech left the land of blessing, the land of Israel, and uh, there was a famine and they, they did what they thought was right and they went to the pagan country of Moab, about 50, 60 miles east of where they lived. And um, they were all going to stay for a little while, but they ended up sojourning there, at least we know, for 10 years. And it was during that time Elimelech died. The two sons that they brought with them married Moabite women and paganism and the darkness of that, that country, and they died. And you finish the first five verses, and you have Naomi, who is husbandless and childless, a destitute widow. In that culture, a widow in a male-dominated culture, they, uh, it was a very despairing situation. Elimelech, her husband, had stepped out of the will of God into the grave. Her two sons had died. Um, the seeds of bitterness had been planted in Naomi, and they were growing. And the sorrow and sadness uh, doesn't stop with verse 5. Um, the following verses, you see the evidence of that in the bad advice that Naomi gives her daughters-in-law. Verse 6 again, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard that in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So the, the problem, the reason why they had left the land of, of promise, the land of Israel, was because of the famine. Well, that, that problem's done. So now, 10 years later, she goes back to that homeland because the, the problem of food has been resolved. So she departed, verse 7, from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. We mentioned last week that the book of Ruth takes place in the context of the book of Judges. It's in the times that the judges ruled in the last verse of that previous book, the book of Judges, that kind of details out what that life was like, kind of summarizes that time. It was the day when there was no king in Israel and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Was it that they were doing wrong necessarily? They were just doing what was right in their own eyes. And that led to a lot of wrong things taking place. Like Elimelech 
leaving the land of blessing, doing what he thought was right. Well, Naomi is doing the same thing. She's encouraging the daughters-in-law to, well, do the sensible thing, humanly speaking. Uh, yeah, maybe she's got their best interests at heart. I mean, for Moabite women to go to the land of Judah, I mean, Moab was an enemy to Israel. And for two widowed Moabite women to go into Judah probably wouldn't be very uh, encouraging. So why don't you stay in Moab? I mean, you'll find other husbands. Uh, you'll make a life for yourself there. And it makes pretty good sense, humanly speaking. But the world's way of thinking really doesn't always have God's perspective in mind. We're so easily, I think, caught up with uh, what makes sense for us today. We, we can easily run uh, decisions of life through a grid of what makes the most sense in terms of um, our comforts, uh, uh, our, our human happiness. What's going to make the most sense to, um, to better our position in life? It's easier to have those things as our greatest concern. You know, what's, what's the best house we can buy? What's the What's a better car that we could drive? Should I take that job or this job? Where should we go on vacation this summer? I wonder what college our kids should go. What's the best education they can get? Nothing wrong with those decisions, but the question oftentimes that we fail to ask is, I wonder what God wants us to do. It's like, oh, yeah. Spiritually speaking, what makes better sense? And of course, as you probably know, spiritual sense doesn't always mesh with, you know, worldly sense. It's easier to study for a sermon than to pray over it. It's easier, believe me, to preach a sermon than it is to live it. Don't ask my wife, but take my word for it. It's easier to do what is right in your own eyes than to do what is right in God's eyes. It's easier to try to save your life than lose it, isn't it? It's easier to try to be great in people's eyes than to be the least of all. It's easier to find a place of leadership than it is to find a place of servanthood. It's easier to think of one's own interests rather than the interests of others. It's sadly easier to hate people than it is to love sacrificially. Easier to, to be on the receiving end than on the giving end. To seek revenge rather than to forgive. It's easier to kind of ignore sin and sweep it under the carpet than to root it out, confess it, and deal with it. Yeah, it was easier for Elimelech to leave his homeland where the famine was and go to a place that had food. That made entirely good sense, humanly speaking. And Naomi is simply telling her daughters-in-law, look, it makes entirely good sense for you to go back to your homeland. Go back to Moab. Go back. Now, verse 10, they're willing to stay. No, they say, but we'll surely return with you to your people. 
but Naomi is insistent. She says, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Go back, return, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and then bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. You know, Naomi is somewhat of an enigma to me. I'm not sure how to read her sometimes. Her name, as we talked about last week, her name literally means the pleasant one, the delightful one. And uh, you can only guess that when in, in her other life back in Bethlehem area, she was probably, you know, the life of the party. They were people of means. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, of the original clan members. They probably had a station, a status of life. We talked about it last week. She was probably, well, not probably, that was her name. She was a sweet, pleasant person. And obviously, during these 10 years while she was in Moab, that pleasantness and that delightfulness must have surfaced because these daughters-in-law, they're, they are very um, endeared to her. No, we, we, we want to go with you. There was something about Naomi that, that her daughters-in-law just said, we, we, we love you, we, we want to be with you. And yet Naomi was so caught up in the discouragement and the, and, and the hopelessness and the bitterness. Um, last part of verse 13, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. It's pretty strong terminology. It's a military term. The hand of the Lord has gone forth like an army that is coming to battle. She sees God as the adversary. God is like a, a powerful army and he's, he's attacking me. The hand of the Lord has gone against me. You don't want to be hanging around me because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm bad news. I'm not in good with God. You certainly don't want to be around me. It's better if you go back to Naomi, back to away from me, Naomi, and back to Moab. Well, uh, the prospect of a widow's life in Judah wasn't uh, very accepting to Orpah. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices, they wept again, but Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. She goes back to Moab. Ruth clung to her. And we, we never know any more about Orpah. I mean, we, she's gone. She just steps out of the pages of Scripture. Goes back to Moab. Maybe she had a very pleasant life. Married another Moabite pagan guy and had kids and grew up and did her thing and died of old age and, and ended up in an eternity without God. In the land of Moab, that's where she had returned. But Ruth cleaves to Naomi. She made the better choice, and we'll see that in the ensuing chapters. And yet, here's, here's Naomi again, insistent. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and her gods go after her. Uh, you know, when, you're, when your life is out of harmony with God and his word, your advice is going to be out of tune as well. Um, the Moabites worshipped the god Chemosh. Uh, pagan, awful, 
ugly worship cult. Uh, follow Orpah. Go back to her gods. Um, Ruth is equally insistent. And in that beautiful, beautiful verse, verses 16, 17, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God, and where you die, I will die, and there will be, and where, and there I will be buried. And thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. You know, this is the bright spot in chapter 1 of Ruth. This is a, a, a couple of verses that you hear sometimes in weddings, is it not? This sense of devoted, loyal love. And both, uh, Ruth had it in, in spades here. She was undeterred. And she made her decision. If you look at that verse, those two verses, you see the radicalness of her decision. It was made in the face of great opposition. Ruth said, do not urge me. It's a strong term. You're you're putting pressure on me. She's in a vice. I mean, Naomi's coming with great pressure. Trying to reason all these ways. You can find a husband there. You think I can have other kids? It's no life for you. She's making a very compelling case. And Ruth says, look, please stop the pressure. And she makes her decision to go with Naomi in the face of great opposition. She makes her decision, which involved no limitations. Where you go, I will go. I don't know where that'll end up. It's just like, I I don't know what the future is going to hold. All I know is that when you take a step back towards Judah, I'll take the step right behind you. And when you take another step, I'll take that next step. Wherever you go, I'll go. There was no limitations. She made her decision in spite of the potential world poverty that she was going to face. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And again, destitute widows going back to the home, especially a Moabite pagan woman, widow woman, they they might be living under the stars. They had no shelter. They had no home to go back to. They were destitute. Her decision meant a break with the closest of associations. See what it says? Your people are going to be my people. Everything that she had known, she had grown up with. Her family, her uncles, aunts, cousins, whatever, her neighbors, everything that, that was familiar to her, she's, she's breaking with that. Her decision meant an attachment to a new God. No longer to worship the pagan deity of the Moabites, but to to now attach herself to Jehovah God. Your God is going to be my God. And, and in that almost statement of conversion, she's saying, I have decided to follow Jehovah. He's now my God. It was a decision that was for life. And where you die, that's where I will die. No turning back. It was a decision that involved a total separation And when I'm dead and buried, wherever you're buried, that's where I will be buried. No packing my bones up and going back to my homeland. Not bearing me back in the the, the land of my origin. 
a total and complete separation. And man, she meant it. She sealed it with an oath. May the Lord do to me or worse if anything but death parts you and me. Commitment. Loyalty. Devoted love. In spite of all the odds against her, Ruth chose not what made the most sense worldly speaking. But as we'll see, it sure made a lot of sense spiritually speaking. Naomi and Ruth head back then to Bethlehem. Ruth with her committed love and Naomi with her growingly bitter, embittered heart, as verse 19 says. So they both went until they came back to Bethlehem, and it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? Remember, Naomi was probably had been the life of the party in her previous life. Well-known family. They departed and left. Maybe it now had been 10 years. And, and she returns with, with some pagan foreigner attached to her. Like, is this Naomi? Etched probably in her face was the marks of anguish and sorrow and, and bitterness deeply embedded into the soul of Naomi, manifesting visibly but also verbally. She says in verse 20, do not call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me the delightful one. Call me Mara, the word that means bitter. For Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Play on words there, isn't there? Call me bitter because he made me bitter. You think about it, you know, bitterness can be sown in our spirits and our soul one of two ways. We either receive something that we thought we didn't deserve, some unjust criticism, some, uh, some bad situation in life that uh, just kind of was thrust upon us. We, innocent bystander, all of a sudden, boom. Um, we lost the job, we, we sought to raise our kids in the fear of the Lord, and now half of them are rebelling against God. We got something that we just know we didn't deserve. Or we didn't receive something that we thought we should have received. We didn't get that promotion, we got looked over. I, I married this person because, uh, you know, I thought, they were a perfect spouse. And now, four years into it, it's like a switch got flipped. It's, a, it's, a, it's not what I bargained for. I'm getting something that I, had, <laughs> I just didn't plan for. And all of a sudden, the seeds of bitterness are sown. And notice where Naomi's bitterness is directed. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Shaddai, Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty, the powerful one, the strong one, the, the one who could have rewritten the script. I mean, he's the Almighty one. I didn't deserve this. I mean, I just followed Elimelech. 
he was my husband. I did, I did the wifely thing, you know. I was submissive. I, I went to Moab. It wasn't my idea. But man, look what I ended up with. And God, God could have changed it in a, in a moment. But he has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, he's not the, the God of love, the God of compassion, but he is the almighty, the powerful one. And he could have changed it. I went out full, she said in verse 21, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi Pleasant? Since the Lord has witnessed against me. I'm standing before his, his law court, as it were, and I'm condemned. I don't deserve this. He's witnessed against me. What did I do? The Almighty has dealt bitterly. Don't call me pleasant. The Lord has witnessed against me. In the last part of verse 21, again, repeat, the Almighty has afflicted me. Boy, it's a bitter spirit. What lessons for us might there be? Probably tons here. But in just a few moments of our time, I want to go to a, a, a New Testament verse that I think will help us apply this into our own life situation. The verse I want to go to is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, where the writer of Hebrews says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many defiled. Watch out, the writer says. Don't fall short. Be careful. Don't miss out on God's grace. How do, how do we miss out on God's grace? How do we avoid um, missing out on, on, on the grace of God in trouble? Well, the same writer a few, ver a few chapters earlier in chapter 4 wrote this, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Let's draw near with confidence to that throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We've got a high priest. He knows exactly what life in this sin-sick world is all about. He's, he has suffered everything. He knows what testing is all about. He came and put on full humanity. He identified fully with our life, our life of pain and sorrow and he walked where we've walked, and he, he understands. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, I'm, I'm here to tell you, he's full of grace and mercy. And he understands what's going on in your heart. He's been there, and you can run to him. Don't miss out on the grace and the mercy that he wants to give you. Go to the throne of grace to find that grace and mercy and help in time of need. You see, when we take matters into our own hands, and it really comes down to, folks, our, our view of God. We take matters into our own hands and decide, you know, I think I'll, I'll solve this problem myself instead of turning to our great and merciful high priest and just crawl up in his 
celestial lap, as it were, as he sits on the throne of grace and just say, God, I don't know where to turn other than to you. Because right now, I need mercy and grace to help me through this. It doesn't mean that the problems and the situations go away, right? It just means that we've got someone who loves us and cares for us and understands and, yes, is the Shaddai, God Almighty, but is the God of grace and mercy. So when we decide to distance ourselves from God and, and problems and situations like that so oftentimes is the case. I've, I've done it myself. I've seen it happen in people's lives. The roots of bitterness can be so easily planted when we receive something that we felt like we didn't deserve or don't get what we thought we did deserve. That worldly focus about how we think life ought to work and fit and, and it's so easy to all of a sudden stiff arm God thinking that he is dealing bitterly with us. When he with open arms is saying, don't miss out on the grace. Watch out. Don't, don't slip away from what, what is available to you. Come to the throne of grace and find mercy and help in time of need. How do we handle life's problems, the pains and sufferings of life? When I was a young seminarian, I went to a, a pastor's conference where an older pastor was speaking. I'll never forget it. The one thing that he said, well, he said many things, but the one thing I remember, and it stuck with me, someone asked him in a question and answer period, and by the way, this old, uh, old pastor, old Baptist pastor, you probably have heard of maybe Ben Hayden. He, I, he's still on the radio. I mean, he's been in heaven, I don't know how many years, but they still play his sermons. Uh, out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, Dr. Ben Hayden. And someone asked him, so, Dr. Hayden, what what what's your advice i mean what what, what what is your biggest concern for your flock and without hesitating he says that they learn how to suffer well life comes at us awfully hard and how we view god will determine how we're going to survive it will we survive it because of the the, the grace and mercy that he bestows to us you know, Elimelech and Naomi hit some rough times, a famine in the land. And what they ended up doing was their own thing. They walked away from God. You think about it. They walked away from God's presence because to leave Bethlehem and go to a, a foreign country, they walked away from the, from the, the place where God says, I'm going to meet you and, and at that tabernacle, that, that, that setting there in Shiloh where the presence of God was. The presence of God did not inhabit some place in Moab they walked away from the presence of God he said I'm going to meet you here and they walked away from it they walked away from the provision of God the sacrificial system he said look you're, you're sinners I'm holy I'm going to make a, a way a provide a way where you can approach me and it was through that sacrificial system they walked away from it for at least 10 years they didn't sacrifice an animal they had no relationship with God they walked away from his presence. They walked away from his provision. They walked away from his people, from the community of the, of the, of the people of God, the covenant com community. They go to Moab to live with the pagans. Now, how we need the people of God to encourage us, to find the fellowship, to the accountability that we need to go through life. They, they walked away from it all. 
They left God's place of grace and mercy to dwell in the paganism of Moab. And, and the results, go look, look here in this chapter what characterizes Naomi. She had a clouded view of God's word, of his truth, evidenced through the horrible advice she gave her daughters-in-law. She wasn't thinking soundly, biblically. She had a clouded view of God's character. Shaddai has dealt bitterly with me. He's my adversary. She had a warped view of who God was. She had a, a clouded view of her own self, her own sinfulness, her own waywardness. It was, there was none of this owning of her own choices. We, we did this to ourselves. We made the choice to walk away from, from the presence and the provision and the people of God. When the, when the problems came, we, we, we distanced ourselves. We stopped coming to church. We stopped going to the fellowship of the saints. We, we left our small group. We, we curled up in our pain and our agony and we'll say, Lord, you have acted bitterly towards me. And we curl up in our bitterness and the roots of bitterness begin to grow. Notice that second part of that verse 15, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many defile. Oh, when the, when the acid of bitterness begins to spew, it not only eats us alive, it eats everybody around us alive. That Greek word for bitterness literally means pointed or sharp, cutting. It, it has the picture of something that penetrates and lacerates. It punctures and it cuts. It lacerates. It destroys. It makes an un unhappy mess of a person's life. The author is telling us, watch out for that root of bitterness because the fruit of bitterness, the trouble, the mayhem, the sorrow that is spewed out um, it's a very ugly scene. You know, the funny thing about roots is that they always grow below the surface. Sometimes you don't know until something pops up over here, right? And if you try to pull this up here, you, you, well, it doesn't help because it keeps showing up. I don't know, have you ever had mint in your garden? That, that, yeah, some of you know what I mean. You pull this thing up and you've got to get at the root. You've got to find the source of it. Like some invasive plant. It's impossible to get rid of until you pull it up, find its roots. Bitterness can choke the life right out of a person. When the problems of life mount up against us and we find ourselves in a place of need, who do we turn to? What do we do? What's the next thing we do? Elimelech and Naomi, you know what they did? They took the next step that they thought was right, and it was towards Moab. And then they took the next step, and then they took the next step, 50, 60 miles, and they ended up away from God, away from his provision, away from his people, and in the clutches of a bitter heart. And what God is telling of us is when you find yourself in that situation, and we all do, and we're all in it right now, at different stages and phases, right? 
what steps are we making? Is it a step away from him or is it a step closer to his heart? Will the root of bitterness spring up and defile many or do we run to the throne of grace and crawl up in his divine lap and lay our head on his breast and say, I can't figure this out. But I know right here there's grace and mercy and you'll help me in my time of need. Now the last verse is kind of thrown in as a summary. Verse 22. And so Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Just kind of a wrap-up verse and yet. And it's interesting, chapter 1 began with a famine and Naomi and her family leaving the land of blessing and going to Moab with disastrous consequences. Three widows and three graves. And yet the chapter now ends with Naomi coming back to the land of blessing at the time of the barley harvest. God's blessing was flowing again. I wonder what the consequences of that decision will be. Well, we'll see in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Let me ask you this morning, are you staying close to the throne of grace today? Are you staying close to the throne of grace? Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, God is not against us, he's for us. And if he who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Folks, what's your view of God today? And what your view of God today is good, will determine whether you take a step towards Moab or a step towards the throne of grace. Are you wandering from the throne of grace? Then you need to run back to it. The throne of grace. If you have any questions about whether it is really a throne of grace, then don't forget what we did this morning. That's why we do it, the Lord's table. We're reminded that there is a God in heaven who so loved us. He sent his son to die for us. You want to question whether God is a God of grace and mercy? Why would we ever do that when we celebrate the Lord's table and we're reminded? It shouts to us, I care for you. I love you. I died for you. It's the throne of grace. We don't deserve it. There's not a person in this room that deserved that kindness of God. And if you, by the way, if you've not received it, receive that free gift. Jesus did all that work. He died on the cross. He, he paid for our sins. He loved us with an everlasting love. He took our sin upon himself and he died in our place so that we could have eternal life. A relationship restored with Almighty God freely, simply by believing this free gift. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Maybe for some of you this morning, your first step towards the throne of grace is receiving that free gift simply by saying, yes, I believe, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you rose again. I accept that to be true for me 
and you thank him for that free gift. And in that moment of faith, the Bible says you enter into a, an eternal relationship with Almighty God forever. My guess is most of us have done that in this room. But when the problems of life start mounting up, are you taking steps to the throne of grace? And the one thing that will help us get us there is the fact that the cross took place 2,000 years ago and it's real. John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, wrote this, I can never myself believe in God if it wasn't for the cross. In the the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries, stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, the legs crossed, the arms folded, um, the eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world of brokenness. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I've turned instead to that, that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails, nails through his hands and feet, the back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from a thorn pricked upon his brow, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. That is the God for me. He did lay aside his immunity. To, he did lay aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings became more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, yes, but over it we wholly stamp and boldly stamp another mark. It's the cross that symbolizes his suffering for me. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to your throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. How about it, folks? We take a step toward Moab or to the throne of grace, to the one who said, come unto me. I love you. I'll take care of you. I know your pain and I know your hurt. And I will supply abundantly the grace and mercy you need. Would you bow your head, please? If you've been wandering from his throne of grace, I'm inviting you today to run back towards it. It's your choice. His mercy and grace will root out any root of bitterness that might be growing below the surface of your heart. He invites you to come unto him. Father, thank you for giving us your word and this Old Testament story of Naomi and Ruth. and You tell us in the book of Romans these things are given for our example. 
You've included this inspired scripture to teach us and to let us know a little bit more of your heart and, and what happens when we step away from it, when we decide to, to figure out life on our own. Father, I would ask that right now in the quietness of this moment, if there's a, a brother or a sister in Christ here this morning who has found themselves wandering towards Moab, not, not clinging to your throne of grace, not embracing your heart. I, I would ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them in this moment. Help them to make that right decision to call upon you, to return back into the fellowship with the people of God and search out your presence through your word and just communion with you, just that they would cry out, Father, in the depths of their soul that you are El Shaddai, you are the Almighty One, but you are also the God of compassion and mercy and grace. And that we need you. So that, Father, when, when the famines of life come, instead of a root of, root of bitterness springing up within us, instead what will be heard from our lips is, blessed be your name. So, Father, do it. May it be so today, in Christ's name, amen.